and we will change over to our next discussion. The next discussion is the procurement process. Now, you read the chapter associated with the procurement process, and you, I, I think it was just today, you turned in questions related to the procurement process. We have um, class today, which is about two-thirds of the way over. We will have class on Thursday. We will have class on Tuesday. And then after that comes your midterm exam. The procurement process will be on the midterm exam, but will almost exclusively focus on the things that we, have, we talk about in class. That's why I have to wait until after class on Tuesday to finalize the midterm. There might be like some really high-level questions that come from your textbook reading of this chapter, but um, the real focus here is going to be on the things related to the procurement process that, that we will in fact talk about. Okay, so keep in mind that this is still uh, material that is, is testable for the midterm. What we are going to do now is, is kind of things change in this class a little bit. A lot of what we have done, you know, we talked about a lot of foundational things, and then we talked about financial accounting, which is kind of unique because it touches almost everything in our organization. Now, the next few chapters, which will, for all practical purposes, take us to the end of the semester, we're going to go process by process and talk about those processes in great detail. And when I say great detail, I kind of mean it because this discussion has, looks like, 63 slides with it. And I expect us to be in here for, for several class periods talking through all of the details related to the procurement process. But the goal is, by the time we're done with this discussion, you should really have a good understanding of how this is implemented in organizations that are using SAP and other related ERP products. Well, this is a good starting point here. This is the very basic procurement process. Um, five steps, and so it's kind of worth realizing that everything we're going to talk about here for the next several class periods ultimately kind of traces back to this diagram right here, which is that the procurement process involves the creation of a purchase requisition, and then there's the creating and sending of a purchase order, and then we get materials, and we get an invoice, and we send the payment. Now you realize already some of this we talked about in the last chapter because we talked about some of the financial accounting postings associated with getting an invoice and sending payment and all. So some of the things here we have already talked about and so we'll be able to cover a little bit more quickly. But inherently, this is the procurement process which, which we're going to focus on. But what we really want to do is dive into this thing in a lot more detail and understanding some of the configuration options that are available to organizations as they're setting up the procurement process. So we're going to start, and you'll see this is the structure we're going to follow for all of our, um, our business process-related discussions. We're going to talk about organizational levels, 
then we're going to talk about master data, then we're going to talk about just general concepts, and then we're going to talk about more in-depth concepts. And so we'll stick with that structure moving forward. Well, organizational levels relevant to procurement. One of the things that I realized in grading your homework is apparently based on the way the book presented this to you, half of you gave me answers. Well, I should say, shouldn't say half because I've only graded about a third of the classes. Um, but it seemed like of the ones that I've graded, half of the people gave me a complete answer and half of the people gave me half of an answer. And I think it must be due to the way the book presented this to you. Because there are six organizational levels that are relevant to procurement. The client is one. The client will be listed in every process. The client is relevant because we can't do anything without a client. Everything exists within the scope of a client. So the client is, is always relevant to procurement. Company code is relevant to procurement. Why is the company code relevant to procurement? Financial accounting, okay? Just remember, company code, financial accounting, the company code is relevant to procurement because procurement has a financial accounting impact, therefore we capture that in the company code. The plant. Now I have on the slide here, the focus of the plant is on need determination and, and receiving. And so let's talk about that for a second. We use the term a lot of times in procurement, the receiving plant. And so the idea here is that when we buy something, it's going to be received by a particular plant. So every time we make a purchase, we're going to say, this goes to the Dallas plant, this goes to the San Diego plant, this goes to the whatever plant. So anytime we engage in procurement, we're going to designate a receiving plant. Need determination depends on how we handle things in our organization. But for a lot of organizations, the decision of when we need things is actually made by the plant. Now let's think about your experience with ERP SIM. In ERP SIM, you put in sales forecasts and then you ran the MRP program and out of that you, you got the ball rolling for the procurement process. And that's a perfectly fine way for us to do it. But another way that procurement could have been done in the context of ERP SIM is something like this. And I'm going to keep this very general. But let's say uh, you had your six different flavors of muesli. And I don't remember what order they were. And of course, you could have redefined these later in the game. But you could have told your warehouse, I want you to always keep on hand uh, 100,000 boxes of this guy and 80,000 boxes of this guy, and 75,000 boxes of this guy, and 80,000 of, of this one, and I'm using guy, I think cereal's gender neutral, so this one will be 110,000 of this gal, and then this one right here, 150,000 of this one, okay? So you could tell your warehouse, that's how much I want you to always have on hand. And I want you every day at the end of the day, to take inventory and whatever you're lacking, order that to get it in as soon as you can. And our suppliers require just one day's notice. So, um, you know, end of day one, 
the warehouse goes out, we're assuming we're actually doing this by way of physical count, and they see there's only 65,000 of this guy out there. So they say, oh, we need to order 35,000. So before they leave, they order 35,000, and the next day when they get to work, there's a truck sitting there with 35,000 boxes in it. So the warehouse just automatically keeps our inventory at the level we specified. That's not the way it worked for you in ERP SIM. But that is a valid way for us to handle inventory, and we'll dig into that in more detail at some point in our discussion, most likely with materials management. So the point of this is sometimes the actual need determination is done by the plant. It's going to depend on how we actually structure our purchasing in, in our organization. Storage location. Storage location is really, really important. And notice this, storage location is based on three things. Product characteristics, material type, and stock status. I just numbered those. All right, let's talk about material type. Let's talk about that one first. Material type. Somebody give me an example of what a material type is. Semi-finished goods. What else? Finished goods. Finish goods. Okay. Trade goods. Okay. Good. Raw materials. Okay. Those are all material types. So it is very, very typical in a in a warehouse for us to, you know, segregate our floor space such that finished goods go here and raw materials go here and trading goods go here, and so on. So storage location, you know, oftentimes is highly influenced by material type. Stock status is something that we will talk about, but this is things like block stock and goods in inspection and unrestricted stock. And so we might have an area over here where we put everything that has gone through inspection and failed. And so we're not taking it. We're sending it back whence it came. All right? So that would influence storage location as well, the stock status. Product characteristic is the one of these. This isn't really a, a formal term. Product characteristic is just saying that some products are frozen, some products are radioactive. Um, some products require you to keep them in the refrigerator. And so that's going to influence the storage location. I, I think I talked about this in another class and not this one. Um, but excuse me if I'm repeating an example. If you go to the grocery store, next time you go to the grocery store, find the aisle in the grocery store that has all the laundry detergents. When you walk down that aisle, what, what do you notice? What's like the first thing you think of when you're walking down the laundry detergent aisle? What like, what do you notice? It smells, right? You will never see the laundry detergent aisle back to back with the cereal aisle. Because cereal, the way it's packaged and the nature of the product, it, it's highly um, smell absorbent. If the laundry detergent and the cereal were back to back, your frosted flakes would taste like laundry detergent, which nobody wants. So they're separated in the store. 
your laundry detergent, most likely if you look like on one side or the other of it, the next slide is going to be like paper towels and paper plates and stuff like that that don't really pick up smells. And, and maybe the other side might have frozen foods, which is frozen, first of all, and then it's in, in refrigerators, and so it's fairly impervious to smells. But the store is laid out realizing that certain product characteristics mean that we can't put them next to each other. We have to be really, really careful about that in storage as well. And so we've, we've got to be mindful of these product characteristics. And so those are all things that are going to tie into this issue of storage location. We mentioned briefly in a previous discussion purchasing organizations. We will revisit them in this discussion. The purchasing organization identifies and selects vendors, negotiates conditions and contracts, sets pricing conditions, and overall we observed previously it does our strategic purchase planning. That's the role of the purchasing organization. And then Closely related to that, but yet distinctly different in a very important way, is our purchasing group, which focuses on purchasing execution. So organizational levels relevant to procurement, as we can see here, there are six of them. Now, hypothetical midterm exam question. Which of the following organizational levels are relevant to procurement? Pick all that apply. Client plant, customer, vendor, purchasing organization, um, cost center, and storage location. I might have said storage location twice, I don't know. And so you would be expected to go through that and say, okay, yeah, client is, storage location is, um, vendor seems like it might be there because vendors clearly are relevant to procurement, but why, why is vendor not a right answer? Vendors master data. I asked about organizational levels, so a vendor doesn't fall into the category there. So these are the kinds of things to be thinking about in terms of uh, studying for the exam. And, and, and I say that because I think if you, if you understand the concepts here, then you don't have to memorize this as a list. But one way or the other, you, you need to be ready to answer questions about it. You know, storage locations are influenced by, you know, true or false. Product characteristics have an influence on the selection of a storage location. Yeah. Uh, true or false. The odor of a product might influence its storage location. Yeah. So those are the kinds of questions you, you should expect to see. I could car this slide right here, I could probably carve up into about 10 or 15 different exam questions. So as you're studying, make sure you think about it from all the different ways that you might think that you will, you will get questions. Purchasing organizations, let's talk about these guys here. And the key thing, and I, I don't have a good way um, to remember this, I don't have any kind of trick here, but in your brain, you need to remember that purchasing organizations handle the strategic aspect of purchasing. So somewhere along the line, remember that the organization, purchasing organization is, is strategic. You had a question in your book that we want to talk about here for a moment, which relates to all the different ways an organization could structure 
purchasing from a strategic point of view in their organization. And, and there were three primary ways that this is supported. One of them is we could engage in what is called enterprise level purchasing organization. Now, every one of these three has two different names. So it's very important for us to know that this could be called one of two different things. And the names make perfect sense. So we could think in terms of we could have an enterprise level purchasing organization, or we could call that a cross company code purchasing organization. Now, I, I'm gonna go to the next slide here for the sake of drawing a picture, and we're gonna bounce back and forth here. Okay, so let me draw a picture here. And so here is the client. And inside the client, we have company code one, and company code two, and company code three. Okay. One of these days, I want to like draw a horse or a bunny rabbit or something, but all I get to draw is these rectangles and organizational trees. It's not really as fun as I would like, but nonetheless, here's plant one, and uh, here's plant one, and and plant two. And here's uh, plant one, plant two, and plant three. And of course, each of the plant ones are distinct from one another. They just happen to have the same code associated with them. So on the last slide before I switched it, we said that one of our options here is enterprise level purchasing organization. Well, that means that this particular purchasing organization has the ability to purchase, and I'm going to say ability to purchase, but I mean from a strategic sense, ability to purchase for all company codes in the client. So, if I were to draw a circle around what I just stated textually, the circle would be this. A enterprise level purchasing organization can buy for anything in the entire client. That's why we call it enterprise level purchasing organization. The reason why we call it cross company code purchasing organization is you notice their authority spans across all the company codes. So no matter which of those two terms we want to use, they, they both describe what's going on here. It can purchase from a strategic point of view for everything. And so when we actually engage in activities is when we assign it to a company code. And, and why do I have to assign it to a specific company code? for financial accounting purposes, okay? So they do this on behalf of everybody. Now when the purchasing group actually acts on this, then at that point I have to assign actual orders to a company code because I've got to know who's on the hook to pay for this. But the overall authority and uh, breadth of, of activity for this is the entire organization. Now, we can think of purchasing in terms of centralized purchasing 
and decentralized purchasing. Which is this an example of? Centralized purchasing, okay? Because we're going to have this purchasing organization and it, it buys from a strategic point of view for everything, for the whole organization. So if P3 down here needs something, they're going to communicate that to the purchasing organization and they're going to start working on that. And so we're all using the same purchasing organization because it, it works for our entire organization. Option two, company level purchasing organization or we could also call this cross-plant purchasing organization. Now let me draw the picture and then I'll come back to this. Okay, so what does this guy look like? This guy, uh, I'll draw him in, um, I need a distinct color here, I'll, I'll draw this circle in black. This guy right here would be an example of what we're talking about. It buys for one company code, which is why we call it a company level purchasing organization. But that also means it buys on behalf of all of that company code's plants. So that's why we also call it a cross-plant purchasing organization. It's able to purchase for all the plants, but only those that exist in a single company code. And so the purchasing organization is actually assigned to a company code which means that if the company code has multiple plans, it inherently picks up the ability to work for each of those plans. So going back to my picture here, I have the totally centralized mechanism that's illustrated by my green circle, which is enterprise level slash cross company code. I have the more decentralized mechanism which is the company level or cross plant my third option is and I'll draw this in purple and I'll draw more than one of these I could have this this guy that's purple and this guy that's blue and I keep saying guys I'm sorry this gal in yellow okay now those are buying, as we see here, for just individual plants. So those are plant level purchasing organizations or plant specific purchasing organizations. So if you gotta make sure in your brain you, you get these tied together. You know, which one, what does it mean? And it's very, very logical, but it's also very, very easy to, to get these crossed up in, in your brain. This is able to purchase for just a single plant. And so the purchasing organization is assigned to a plant. Now you say, hold on a second, if it's assigned to a plant, how do I know what company code it's tied to for financial accounting purposes? Well, all, comp all plants are assigned to a company code. So if you know it's assigned to a plant, you can derive the company code from that knowledge. So going back to my question about about centralized and decentralized, this right here would be the most centralized. This down here would be the most decentralized. And so this other guy would be like in the middle. Now, I don't have to pick just one of these. 
And in fact, it is not at all uncommon for an organization to have, okay, this green guy out here, this is Pertzing Organization 1, and it's enterprise-wide. And Pertzing Organization 2 is this guy over here in black, and then this is Pertzing Organization 3, Pertzing Organization 4, Pertzing Organization 5. We can have as many Pertzing Organizations as we think makes sense for our organization. And so this would be a, a very, very feasible situation. L let's talk about why, why we might want this. Well, first of all, what do you think is the big motivation behind this guy right here, this PO1, which I said is represented by the big green circle? What's it do for me? I get a lot of purchasing power through this guy right here, right? Because it buys, or at least it negotiates, and remember, let's, we're talking about strategically, it negotiates purchases on behalf of the entire um, organization as a whole. Let me give you a, a, a real-world example of this. McDonald's, the hamburger company that you're all familiar with. Back in the early, early days of franchising, if you opened a McDonald's restaurant, you were required to buy your hamburger through the McDonald's Corporation. Eventually, after various court cases, the courts decided that no, that was restraint of trade, and so franchisees have the ability to decide who they purchase from if they're individual business owners. But a lot of those McDonald's franchisees continue to buy from the McDonald's Corporation. Why do they do that? Well, they know that the McDonald's purchasing organization that buys on behalf of all McDonald's restaurants in the United States is buying an awful lot of hamburger patties. And so when they go to a supplier and say, we need a billion pounds of hamburger patties, let's just say hypothetically, they're going to get a really, really good price. So they can pass that really good price on to me as an individual franchise owner. So I want to take advantage of that. So a highly centralized purchasing organization makes sense because it can allow us to exert a lot of purchasing influence. Yes, sir. No, not in this situation. But it is trying to help us reduce costs, which is the same thing. You know, we're all one organization here, and so if they can help us cut $2 off the price of, or 2% off the price of our hamburger patties, we just became a lot more profitable. So it's kind of the same thing, but it's not making money as much as it is just saving costs. Okay? Now, let's look at the other extreme. What's the motivation here behind having a purchasing organization that just buys on behalf of one plant? What's, what's the benefit there? or What's the necessity there? What can you think about? What can you think of? What's that? Okay, it might enable us to build good vendor relationships. And by that I mean maybe company code one is in New Jersey and company code two is in New York and company code three is in California. And so this plant is in North California, this plant is in South California, and this plant is in Central California. Well, this plant buys a lot in the Northern California region. 
And so it might be able to negotiate really good deals with suppliers that are in the northern part of California. Those deals would not hold up if the supplier were also expected to ship their products to New York and New Jersey. But they can negotiate a good deal in Northern California because that's just the focus of their negotiation. And so a plant level, a plant specific purchasing organization can help us build those kind of local relationships. If you go to Walmart stores, I'm sure you've noticed this, or even a better example would be Cracker Barrel. If you go into a Cracker Barrel store, almost all of them have a lot of generic merchandise, but then they almost always have one table or, or two that are with things from the local area. You know, the local football team, if you go into the Cracker Barrel, here in Johnson City, there's a table of ETSU sweatshirts and stuff. If we go to Florida, they don't have an ETSU table there. Okay, They have it for a different locale. That's the kind of the idea of what we're talking about here with being able to adapt to the local area. Let me give you another. Oh, yes, sir. You have one? In what respect? If we really think in terms of keeping everything local and, and low transportation costs, absolutely, that's going to give us that. I agree with that 100%. And what I was getting ready to say is, you know, let's, let's go over here to Plant 3, for example. Maybe Plant 3 has certain kind of equipment that is really, really high tech. None of the other plants need it. And so there are certain supplies that Plant 3 needs that nobody else needs. So in that situation, um, the local on the ground purchasing organization that just deal with plant three, they're going to be in a much better position to drive negotiations than one that's responsible for the whole organization because we may not need a lot of this in the big picture. What we need is very critical for plant three, but it's only critical in that context. So the idea here is I have to think about my organization and, and think about, okay, how do I want this to work? And so what I have to do is I have to create a structure and then this happens outside of my ERP system. I have to decide what the roles of authority are here. You know, I might say, okay, purchasing organization one, I want you to primarily focus on this list of things and do that for the entire organization. And then purchasing organization two, you meet the needs of everybody that's in your little circle here. But realize that a deal that purchasing organization one negotiates can be used by plant P2 down here because it's inside that same circle. But purchasing organization five only negotiates on behalf of plant three, so nobody else gets the benefit of that. If we're going with this kind of structure. So going back to the last point here, I'm not limited to just picking one of these, but I have to think about what's really going to work in the context of, of my organization. Let's do one more slide because it, it'll give us a good place to wrap up. What we also have the ability to do is create what's called a reference purchasing organization. And a reference purchasing organization is almost always an enterprise level purchasing organization. And the role of the reference purchasing organization is to negotiate things and then make those available to other purchasing organizations. 
So for example, here I have my reference purchasing organization that negotiates for the entire organization and it negotiates a special contract with Acme Company to buy fiber boxes because we use a lot of boxes. And so here's my purchasing organization which based on my picture you notice it has two plants in it. So that looks like that's a, a company code level purchasing organization because it buys for multiple plants. So that's a company level purchasing organization or a cross plant purchasing organization. It has the ability to see, oh, the, the reference purchasing organization negotiated this contract. I don't have to use it, but that's a really good contract. So I'm going to reference that contract when I go out and engage in my activities. So what we do is we pick up the ability, you know, all of these different purchasing entities should operate collaboratively with one another. They're all in the same organization. They all should be helping us fulfill our goals. And so the idea behind a reference purchasing organization is they kind of look out for everybody. And they look at things on the very big picture view and negotiate contracts that then other purchasing organizations could say, yeah, we want in on that. We only negotiate for our plant, but we want in on that guy right there. And so that gives us kind of a hybrid behind highly centralized and highly decentralized. Okay? Uh, any questions? All right. Well, this is a very good place for us to stop for the day. So.